0: Thousands of children
1: are school-striking for the climate on the streets of Brussels. Hundreds of thousands are doing the
0: same all over the world. Let's flood the world with climate activists. Let's get out of the zones of convenience and join forces and start taking ourselves pursuing a Well,
1: you start living!
0: Welcome to our podcast.
1: We are Historians for Future, and we want to know what historians and other researchers or activists have to say about a climate emergency, our history and our future.
0: Our aim is to provide a historical perspective on the climate and biodiversity crisis we are facing.
1: How did we get here, and where might we go? Hello everyone, it's Elliot here, and I'm delighted to share that for our first episode of the series, we are joined by Simon Schaffer. Simon is a Professor of History of Science at the University of Cambridge and joins me to discuss our first topic, What can we learn from history about climate change? Simon is widely known for his work on histories of astronomy, natural philosophy, technology and the physical sciences and has more recently turned his attention to climate change. So I'm sure, like me, you're very excited to learn more about Simon and his views on all things history and climate.
0: Hello, it's great to be here.
1: So kicking things off, as a historian, do you care about the future? And if so, why?
0: That's a harder question than it sounds. Of course, I care about the future. It would be bizarre not to. But um, the characteristic or one characteristic position that historians often adopt is to insist on precedent, to insist that whenever something new or unprecedented or unexpected or surprising is proclaimed, there'll be an historian in the corner of the room saying, no, this has happened before. Let me tell you a story. And that story will often uh, feature something that's supposed to be very similar indeed to the allegedly unprecedented phenomenon that we're now facing. I'm not sure that's a terribly helpful use for history. On the contrary, I think one of the most important relations between, for example, the climate crisis, the climate emergency, and the professional concern of historians and historically minded people, is to work out a better account of what is new not to insist that nothing is. So there's a very obvious effect on historical consciousness and practice of the nature of the climate emergency, just as in my view, there are some very obvious relevances and connections between historical practice and the character and implications of the climate emergency and the future in general
1: okay that's very interesting and he kind of answered the second question i had so we'll move on from that one but so on your own research you've obviously published very widely on a range of topics exploring practices materials techniques of scientific inquiry how various forms of science are organized you know the varying cultural social understandings of science and also like the role of space and place and production and circulation of knowledge so how does this How did that kind of begin? And how have you moved into the climate crisis that you've been talking about?
0: Well, I'm not gonna attempt to summarize all the initiatives that I've been willingly or unwillingly involved in. What I want to bring out, I guess, is a couple of features of work that I've been involved in around the history of the sciences that seem to me to be peculiarly useful when we're thinking about the climate emergency and peculiarly relevant to that emergency. In other words, these approaches that I've been involved in are not only likely to help, that's what I hope, but also very likely to change, that's what I intend. So one way of describing kind of work that I've been interested in is that it's based on three kinds of shift from what I was taught. One shift is a shift from chronology to geography. So rather than a view of the history of the sciences that writes chronicles and is obsessed with priorities and founders, The kind of history of the sciences that interests me more is a history that tries to make sense of how what happens in one place happens anywhere else. Hmm. And that raises issues of replication, and in principle, fascinatingly for the climate sciences, of universalization. Since it's not possible to observe everywhere always at the same time, How are those claims guaranteed and produced? How is it, for example, this really matters to climate science? How is it that there are certain places that get privileged so that what happens there counts as if it was happening everywhere? And then there are other sites, other places, other groups of people where what happens there and what happens to them doesn't seem to count at all. Or it counts for like very little. That's one question, the privileging and unevenness of the geography of knowledge. Secondly, this is a very familiar point, I guess, to the people in the podcast, a shift from roughly theory to practice. The way I was trained was that the history of the sciences is essentially And certainly, first of all, the history of sequences of theories of complex and often quite abstract stories about how the world is and how the world is occasionally affects those stories and changes. them. Instead of that kind of approach, uh, what I've been involved in is trying to make sense of the history of science as essentially a history of work. The sciences are organized, and very often, as we know all too well, disorganized forms of labor. Organized like work and with all the political, social, moral problems that forms of work have. And finally, perhaps most relevantly to our interests, an insistence that controversy is not embarrassing, it's informative. The traditional one, traditional one, very important image of the Mm -hmm. sciences is that, uh, to put it very bluntly, because the world is shared by all, consensus is the default position. Because we're all wired up the same way, so we all, in principle, see the same thing. So you'd expect folk to agree. And if they don't, something's going wrong. The view that my work takes is exactly the opposite, that what's to be explained is agreement. Agreement is fragile, temporary, unlikely, difficult, and not long-lasting, and it needs analysis. The implication of that is that the history of science is a good way of making what seems very familiar, what seems taken for granted, look odd, and look as though it's in need of explanation. And what seems odd or marginal or passe becomes when we attend to it more plausible, more interesting, more significant. So that inversion, it's a double inversion of uh, making the familiar strange and making the strange familiar, uh, seems to me to be one of the most interesting and important ways in which historians of science can contribute to and also respond to the climate emergency and what's going on.
1: Okay. Um, what kind of effects do you think this will have on the, on the wider public community? So for instance, like uh, activists or just the general public?
0: Well, one reason why the climate emergency and its many dimensions um interact so strongly with the kind of work that we're talking about is that almost all the positions adopted in the climate emergency bring with them whether they know it or not stories about how we got here including stories about who we are in that sentence a huge amount of the politics of the climate emergency is about the definition of the collective, who is the we. And one can think about that very well by dwelling for a moment on the meaning of the word responsible. So that responsible in English means both causal and moral principles. If one is responsible it means one's actions have these effects if one is responsible it means one is acting virtuously it's an absolutely fascinating feature of language of political language there but it brings together causation and ethics in an absolutely obvious way and it does so through stories about the past through stories about genealogy about how we got here about what was done, why it was done. Was it done with knowledge or not? Was it unwitting or not? How was it organized? In whose interests was it organized? Those are the fundamental questions of any decent history of the sciences and they are the central issues. Clearly they're the central issues in the politics of the climate emergency, especially issues of climate justice. Climate justice is a set of projects massively focused on questions of responsibility.
1: Okay, and so what do we take away from this as the academic community and beyond? So for instance, for our listeners, how can they use what you're saying and put it to benefit the climate emergency?
0: I think there are two things going on here that matter most. One is around teaching and education. The other is around activism and intervention, teaching first. Teaching is in crisis, massively so, in this country but elsewhere certainly in this country, in which there's um, a very violent and extremely clear assault on the value, rights, and significance of thinking about, learning about, debating, criticizing, and working out better approaches to human experiences understood as the subjects of historical struggle of economic and social relationships and of the place literally i mean that term quite literally the place occupied by institutions of privilege and places and peoples of exclusion and it's absolutely vital that the right to sustain that kind of teaching is defended and intensified. At the very moment when there could not be a greater and more intense need for better understanding and better high quality debates around the way people are led to understand better the sources of the emergency and the relation between the knowledge with which they're presented and to which they contribute, and the institutions of which they find themselves willing or unwilling members, all those resources are being cut back or called into question or suppressed or abolished. That's one set of issues. The complementary set of issues around activism, it seems to me, is that one of the lessons I would draw from reflection on the history of the sciences, especially the sciences involved in climate knowledge and climate modeling, is that they are and have always been uh, spread across a vast range of different forms of representation and expression, so that it's extraordinary to reflect on and take part in the range of media, the range of platforms, the range of formats in which intervention and struggle can take place. They don't simply focus, in other words, either on conventional forms of political action on the one hand, or conventional forms of knowledge production on the other. One of the major lessons of the history of science and technology is that new forms of knowledge go with new forms of the social organization of knowledge production. And that is exactly the conjuncture in which we find ourselves at the moment. And I think that's potentially exciting and significant, but it's also potentially critical in that um, one of the many commodities that's running out very fast is the principal commodity in which historians deal, which is time.
1: It's absolutely fascinating. It may be of interest to know that when obviously all the pandemic and everything is gone, or hopefully minimized, um, we as historians of the future are trying to organize some form of teaching, some regular teachings to try and engage the public a bit more. Obviously, that doesn't quite address the deep-seated issues that you're talking about.
0: No, but but I think it absolutely does address Mm. One of the major weaknesses of a lot of current work, right? It may sound completely superficial, right? It, it, it may sound as if, uh, I don't know, let's be satirical about it. We're going to save the planet with a better reading list, right? We are not going to save the planet with a better reading list. However, although that's not sufficient, It's an area of struggle which seems to me to be absolutely necessary. Um, And it will involve, it clearly is already involved with complete changing of regard. Um, Because again, one of the lessons I think if you reflect historically and critically on the past of the sciences, is it's not just that new technical and material formats and ways of organizing knowledge production emerge at moments like this, It's that we also see huge changes in the kinds of people who take part in this sort of work. And we are obviously living through that right now. And that means we have constantly to be calling into question issues around entitlement, legitimacy, and authority. One of the difficulties of that We don't have time to go into this in any detail, has been that over the last 20 years, 25 years in fact, the issue has seemed to be, has seemed to be, a defense of the legitimacy of orthodox science against pernicious and evil-minded agents, the so-called merchants of doubt that may not be the only issue and it may not now be the principal one. And that will turn out, I think, in retrospect to be a very important uh, pivot point in the struggles that are immediately facing us right now.
1: Okay, Salman, thank you very much, seems like a good place to end it. Uh, Thank Thank you so much for joining.
0: Thank you, it's been a pleasure.